he said to me, the role of a leader really breaks down into three things. It is to remove barriers, to act as a resource, and to be a cheerleader. And if you could do those three things as a leader, you're golden. This is the Level Up Together podcast, a place to talk about building better relationships, leveling up your business and life, and living a life you've always wanted. While it's not easy, it's definitely worth it. So if that sounds like your sort of thing, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Tasha Baird-Miller, and this is Level Up Together. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another Level Up Together podcast. If you are new, welcome to our community. If you are a regular, welcome back. Are you an executive leader or a CEO of your own business? Are you looking for tips and strategies on how to become an intentional, authentic, effective leader? Are you ready to receive the winning formula to help you level up your leadership and business? Well, look no further. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Alicia Mandel, principal and founder of Medius Advisory Group, who is passionate about creating a winning formula for leadership, strategy, and culture. Alicia has more than 30 years of experience as a thought leader in learning and leadership development, change management, executive coaching, organizational development, and workplace culture at high-profile organizations. She's held an array of different leadership roles during her business tenure, with each experience taking her one step closer to starting her own business. In this episode, we talk about the critical components of a strong and effective leader, the role of a great leader and how they impact their people and business, how a leader influences an organization's values, strategy, and culture, the importance of building a value-based culture from the start, and how effective leadership is purposeful and intentional. It was a true joy speaking with Alicia, and I'm confident you'll get some great takeaways from our conversation. Now let's dive into this episode. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to the Level Up Together podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tasha. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you join us today on the show. So Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So you are the principal and founder of Medius Advisory Group and you're a thought leader in learning and leadership development. Can you share with us your career journey and what you specialize in today? Sure. So um, it depends how much time you have. I thought this was not that long of a podcast. I have a long and arduous career journey, so I'll try and keep (laughs) it short. Um, I'm a New Yorker, born and raised. I spent the first um, 36 years of my life in New York and the first 17 years of my career also in New York. So working at big co- two big companies, um, Citibank, at the time it was called Citibank, now it's Citigroup, but I worked at Citibank where I learned about learning and development, uh, seven years there and then 10 years at American Express. Uh, I think that the 10 years that I spent at American Express were my most influential years of my career. And I learned everything I could have learned in those 17 years. I had big company budgets, big company consultants coming in and teaching me uh, as much as I could absorb. And I, and I was smart enough then to even recognize that. And so after I left Amex, I went to a, a startup in, um, 
in Nashville, Tennessee called Assurian, which is a cell phone insurance company. And the goal there was for me to see if I could take everything that I had learned from these big company consultants and do it myself in sort of a scrappy, very small budget kind of a way, but doing it with very, very quick growth. So the company went from um, 500 employees to 5,000 in the two and a half years I was there, and it's up to 10,000 now. Uh, so really fast, fast growth company, great learning for me. From there, I went to my dream job, which was in um, Colorado Springs, and it was the running learning and leadership development for the United States Olympic Committee, which was like a dream come true. There was never, there was nothing there before that. So I got to build a corporate university from scratch using, le using sport as a metaphor for leadership. One time when I was at working at Amex, I was doing a big presentation for a sales group and I used sport as a metaphor. I, I forgot <clears throat> I forgot what it was, but some some man came up to me after and told me I should never use sports as a metaphor because women don't like it. Mm. And I couldn't even believe it, right? Some guy is coming to me, a woman, telling me that I shouldn't use sports because women don't really like sports. So I felt like this idea of working at the Olympics and developing an entire curriculum, a corporate university based on sport was the best payback ever for that comment. Um, so much fun, the most fun I ever really had. And from there, uh, my the head of HR left and so they asked me to run HR to be the CHRO for the Olympics. I did that for one year and realized that is not my favorite job on earth. Um, I really, really like the learning and the leadership side. From So because I didn't want to do that HR role anymore, I moved to Phoenix, became the, the head of OD, Communication and Diversity Inclusion at University of Phoenix, which ultimately also grew to be the chief learning officer there. I spent six years there and then realized, you know what? I think I've learned so much from all these companies, companies that were on the rise, companies that were on the fall, companies that I was able to uh, really help build. I worked in sect nonprofit, for-profit, privately held companies. I worked in diff many financial services, sport industry, higher education. So I felt like I had really run the gamut and it was time. And it was time for me to step out and see if I could work with many companies, have a greater impact because I'd be able to work with many companies, not just one on the outside looking in. And that was about six years ago when we, my business partner, who also was on this journey with me, she, uh, I met her at American Express. We worked together at the Nashville company and then also at the United States Olympic Committee. So three companies, we looked at each other and said, it's time for us. And mm -hmm. we started Medias Advisory Group. And it's been a really great, a really great business ever since. Wow, that is quite the adventurous career journey. And I love that you had a partner in crime the entire process through. Um, to your point, I, I can totally envision the two of you just saying, let's do this. Let's do this on our own. It was sort of, it was sort of miraculous because we always knew that we wanted to do it. And we, our timing was always perfect. We didn't always work together. And when we, in fact, our last, both of our last jobs, it was just perfect timing. We were both ready just right at the same time. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we just always have lived so synchronous. Our, our lives have been very synchronous, 
if that's the right word. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's been a it's been a pleasure. I never would have I never could have done it without her. Yeah, and what I like about your story is that you were given so many different opportunities um, to try different roles and different facets of um, being in in companies and and in. You know, very specific leadership roles. And through that process, you were able to narrow down what you really love and what you, um, you know, thrive at and what you, you know, are good at, but maybe not something that really fulfills you every single day. So learning and leadership development is your forte. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, why you're anchored in on those two aspects and how you've put, brought that forward in your company? Yeah, so I think um first of all, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of luck, a lot of really great mentoring and a lot of just paying attention. I you know, I'm able a lot of times I could say to to leaders that I work with, if you do this, chances are this will happen. And they say to me, "Oh my god, how did you know that? How did you know that that was going to do that? Are you some kind of fortune teller?" And, you know, I always say, I just pay attention to different things than you. So in my career, I've paid attention to the cause and effect of leadership. What happens when you do this? That How do people feel when you do that? And what are the impacts of that kind of leadership on an organization? Because after so many years of watching and paying attention to that, you definitely see patterns. I mean, the, the trickiest part of leadership, the hardest part, is that human beings are very messy and they're all different. And so, you know, the, the real, the real reason you get played the big buck, big bucks in leadership is because you really have to look at every person and figure them out individually. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that to me is the fun part. I've always been the kind of person that people come to that people just tell me things and, I learned that listening and redirecting or reframing some of those conversations from my perspective or from the mirror, like I like to say, I'm a truth teller. I hold up, I hold up the mirror for you, right? So I, mm-hmm. it's nothing miraculous. It's just reflecting back on what you're reflecting on me, maybe with a different perspective that somehow I got really good at through practice. And I've been doing it naturally for a really long time inside of companies. So now when I do it for uh, people outside of the company, that was my next journey, right? Can I do this outside? Can I coach leaders outside of really having a deep understanding of the context of their business, which is what you gain from being on the inside? You know, you understand the politics, the players, the context. And so if you're an external coach, or you're doing external work, you, you miss that piece. And, and how does that impact the, the work? And so, you know, I've, I've been so fortunate because usually when I work with a company, I don't work with them with only one. I, I, it's, oh, it usually extends to more than one assignment. And so mm-hmm. what happens is I end up learning a lot about the companies that I work with, the various leaders that, that are inside of that company, and I get some of that context, but still remain an outside person that has no vested interest or no fear of getting fired or whatever, you know, in, that there's a fear of sometimes internally and in being a truth teller. 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just am going on so long. I don't even know if I answered your question. <laughs> you, did. Okay. you did. Okay, good. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm curious, um, it, since you've been around so many different uh, organizations and you've seen lots of different leadership styles um, and e- either working individually or working collaboratively within an organization, what would you say are the critical components of a strong leader? Um, I think what I end up doing a lot of coaching on is emotional intelligence. It's an old concept. Mm-hmm. I've been learning and reading and thinking and talking about it since the since really like the, the late 80s, early 90s when Daniel Goleman wrote his book on emotional intelligence. But I think that more and more leaders have gotten to the top of the organization by being really good technically. And they don't really always understand the ripple effects of their leadership the ripple effects of their lack of self-awareness sometimes or lack of ability to regulate their emotional responses. So I think leaders that really have a good understanding of themselves and how they're coming across to others and also are really in touch with, okay, I need to take a breath here because I'm about to lose it. Um, those that can do that and see that and regulate are is a hallmark of a great leader. So really so thoughtfulness um, is one as well. Also, I think leaders with a strong moral compass, um, really understanding what they value and not crossing a line on those values. It sounds cliche Mm -hmm. for an organization to have values, but I've worked with enough now where those without them really need them. And those that have them that don't really follow them, it's really obvious. So I think really great companies, and I've worked for a few really great companies, have strong values and use them as decision makers. Great leaders hold up those values and say, here's why we're making this decision, because we value X. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, a long time ago, uh, I I was fortunate enough to meet a man named David Russo, who at the time was the head of HR for a company called SAS Institute in North Carolina. It was a always one of the top three companies to work for. It was like a major great company to work for. And I was lucky enough to meet him and, and spend some time with him at a couple of different companies that I worked with. And he said something that I talk about all the time. He said to me, the role of a leader really breaks down into three things. It is to remove barriers, to act as a resource, and to be a cheerleader. And if you could do those three things as a leader, you're golden. And um, I run a, a leadership program, and the first, the first module of the leadership program is the difference between a manager and a leader. And it seems pretty elementary, but this leadership program that I'm running is called Leadership Refresh right now. And it's for leaders who need a refresh, like that have gone pretty senior level. I have some some CEOs and SVPs in that program. And it's just for them to take a look back and say, remember, let's go back to the basics. Because I think what happens is management is so much easier than leadership critically important, right? It's important to manage a project, to manage the people, to manage the process, but it's, but it's easier than leadership. And so sometimes we fall back on what's easier and we have to remind ourselves of this thing. Like, you know, a leader's role is not to have the answer for everything. 
You don't have to have the answer for everything. You just have to be a resource to help your people find the answer. So I think those are some of the those are some of the the critical things that leaders, good great leaders, do and have and know. Yeah, what I love about what you just shared is that um, so oftentimes as leaders we uh, feel the stressors and the pressures of running the business and developing the strategy and meeting the numbers that we forget that we are human and that there are people who really make the organization run. And when you can get down to the, that human level, um, you find um, greater leadership and greater results. Totally. You know, th those sometimes, because we're when we're managing processes or managing a budget, it's levers, right? We pull this lever and this thing happens and it's very predictable. And while I said before, there's predictability when you really start paying attention to leaders' behaviors, the predictability ends with each person. You have to really study and understand this kind of a person is going to create this kind of an environment. And the uh, trying to broad stroke everybody as one thing really is where people run into problems. You know, treating everyone the same is really not what a great leader does. A great leader treats everyone based on what they need, and not everyone needs the mm -hmm. same thing. Yeah. So when you um, initiate these leadership programs, what tools or techniques do you use to do your initial evaluation and assessment of the individual so that you can customize the leadership development for that person? Yeah. So I do, um, I really, my business really focuses on pretty much three things. Um, it is executive coaching, which is like individual leadership development for, for senior executives where organizations want to make an investment in a high potential leader. Um, mm -hmm. I also do programs like the leadership refresh program that I mentioned to you that I do for like an open enrollment program for any of my clients who want to send one or two people. But I also do cohorts that are inside of organizations, which allows me to customize it. And then the, the last thing that I do, which I used to do so much more of, but because of this pandemic, I really had to pull back, which is leadership offsites, strategy offsites, uh, even some like team mediation. I hate saying team building because that sounds like trust falls and stuff, which by the way, I actually think are fun. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. instead, real deep facilitation of teams and working through trust issues or personality conflicts um, and stuff like that with executive teams. So all th three of those things require what you were asking about is like, how do you assess the people that you're working with? And I use, I've been fortunate through my career to have used millions of different assessments. I've been exposed to so many of them. We all know Myers-Briggs or DISC or Strength Finder. Um, and those are great. I love them all. Um, many of them, most of them are not legally valid to use. They're just really great for development. And so when, if you're using a Myers-Briggs, which is a tool that so many people know, they teach it in business school. So it's a really common language around corporate 
uh, corporate culture. I'm an ENFP and a lot of people know exactly what that means. Um, that's really mm -hmm. helpful. The, the tool that I use, the assessment that I really like to use is called predictive index. I was introduced to it when I was the chief learning officer at University of Phoenix. Um, I was amazed by it. It's legally valid. Um, it's been around since 1955 and it it's, it's two questions and it literally takes five minutes. And so organizations have been using it for years for hiring because you build a job profile and then you ask some, a candidate to take this, uh, basically a personality inventory that takes it, that asks two questions. And then you overlay their profile on top of the job profile and you see where they're a good match and where they might need some additional coaching or how to communicate with them and how to influence them. It was a great, it was a great learning for me. Number one, because I really thought I knew everything at this point. When, when I was introduced, I thought, well, I've been around for a long time and doing all so much stuff. I know, I know all the good stuff. And so if I haven't heard of this, then it must not be that great. I was really wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a great guy who, who's, who basically taught me about this, who I actually partner with really closely now. He runs a company called Mindwire. And Mindwire sells predictive index, and I offer that as well to my clients. So um, I feel so it's the only product that I actually sell other than myself. And it's because I believe so strongly in it. So I have a really good partnership with this company called Mindwire. Uh, we use and look at predictive index, not only to help companies with hiring, but even more importantly, to help them drive their business to make sure they're putting the right people in the right seats which I think is like one of the most important things you can do as a leader. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing these assessments of the, either an individual in the company or perhaps an entire leadership team um, and you put together the program that works for them, what type of results are you seeing through your leadership development program? So use just an example to say, you know, if you took one person that you recently worked with, um, what are some of the common themes that you see in leaders? And then when they're um, when they've worked through your program, whether it be a personalized program or a group program, where do they finish? Just to show that that uh, connection. So so all so I wish I had a, just a really easy answer to say. Well, they usually start not so great and end really great. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to be able to say that. Um, but because everybody starts from a different place, it's really hard to say. So for I'll just give you a couple examples. I work with, um, I, I was working with a, so the other thing is many of my clients, if not most of them also just become my friends. I have a very fine line mm -hmm. between, work and life. To me, especially when you work for yourself and you work out of your home, um, there's this fine line between work and life and it sort of mushes together and my clients become my friends. So when I talk mm -hmm. about my clients, I also <clears throat> reference them as my friends, which is, is kind of weird because many of them, most of them I didn't know before they were my clients. So one of them, for example, um, was a head of technology for what was a startup that got bought by a giant company. And they, the CEO of the startup, which wasn't really a startup anymore, 
it was pretty, it was relatively low, you know, it was in the couple of hundred people range, but then a gigantic conglomerate bought them for a ton of money, um, you know, with the word billion after it. And so the leadership team of this startup all became very wealthy very quickly. And they all had these retention bonuses that they had to, they had to stick with the big company for a little while of time. And so the CEO of the startup hired me to coach the one of the people on the leadership team. And that was six years ago. And today um, I still coach him and I still work with him. So what happened was I coached him all the way through staying through the retention bonus, but then also staying a few years after that. Now he's left that particular company, big company, and moved on to a company that he's really excited about, really passionate about again, which is a smaller um a smaller organization where he can have great impact. He, he'd been at this company for a long time, so it was a big deal for him. And what was really fun for me was being able to help him tell his story. That's what I really find fun about working with, with leaders is what's your narrative? What story do you want to tell about yourself? And what behaviors, what do you have to do to be in alignment with that story? To me, that's really the fun part. So that's one client, right? I still work with him today. I have another client who's relatively new. I've been working with her for about six months. She um, was referred to me by a different client, and she's the CEO of also of a startup. Um, and she basically said, I don't even know what coaching is, but so-and-so recommended you and said you would be great for me. She never really had any formal leadership training. So she, um, she and I have been working really closely together to build her team, to put in place a little bit of infrastructure, not too much, but just a little bit of infrastructure. I really use my coaching to hold up a mirror to her to say, you're about to make this decision. Let's look at the decision and, and say what's good about it and what's not good about it and just be thoughtful about it. Um, and so we've, We've had a we've had a great relationship, but hers is a little bit more basic because she's never really had the the beginnings. Um, she's also somebody that's in my leadership refresh program. So she's and she's really great mm -hmm. and really fun. Um, I like working mostly with high potentials. I charge a lot of money for my coaching. Honestly, I'm, I'm very upfront about that because when companies don't want to pay the money, it feels like to me they don't want to invest in the person and. I only want to coach the people that the organization wants to invest in, not the ones that they don't want to have a tough conversation with. Does that make sense? Right. It totally makes sense. Then it becomes a, a value exercise, not only. Yeah. For you, I mean, I had, and well. I, and intuitively I'm pretty good at understanding the difference. I had a, a guy um, from a big company they called me up. It was a big company, a great brand. And they said, would you coach this guy? We're not sure he's going to make it. And I said, no, that's not the kind of coaching I do. I could refer you to other people that do that kind of coaching, but it's not the kind of coaching I do. Well, it's interesting that as soon as you say no to somebody, they want you even more. Um, and I said, mm -hmm. why would you want to invest? This is how much I charge. Why would you want to invest this money in a guy you're not sure is going to make it? And they said, well, you know, we put him in this role. It's very high visibility. We really want him to make it. So intuitively, I knew that this was not a good assignment for me, but I took it anyway. Um, and it was at the, really the beginning when I was 
first, you know, trying to get brands and trying to get clients. And I took it and it was a tough assignment from the beginning. I ended up, you know, he ended up not being successful. It went on for usually my, my engagements are six months. Um, and then they have the opportunity to extend for as long as they want by six month periods. And after he said, he extended, even though I suggested he not extend, he wanted to extend anyway. And the boss and I had a great relationship. And I said to him, I don't know why you would want me to pay the money for this guy. So they extended again for the second six months. And by month nine, I, I actually fired him. And I said, I can't, I can't do mm. this. You're not even, he, the guy wasn't even showing up for our coaching sessions. So, I mean, it's not that hard to figure out when people are in and invested or not. You know, I give, I give a hard look. They sometimes call me sugar free. You know, it's not just, a, I'm not just uh, <laughs> st stroking somebody's ego. I'm actually suggesting some, some hard behavioral changes sometimes. And um it, it's, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. And it's really only for people that really want to stretch. Yeah, I think you have to be um, open to feedback and, you know, ready to grow for the coaching to really be effective, not only for you, but for the coach. Totally, and completely. The and so when leaders call me and say, oh, I have this person, I'm much more, I'm much more cautious about it than when somebody calls me and says, oh, I would love for you to coach me. What's the process? So you talked a little bit about the, the examples that you've used are really around, you know, as a leader, what is their story? What is the value they bring? And how do they want to interact with their people? So talk a little bit about the connection between the individual leader the leader's vision um, and strategy for the organization, and then how culture plays into it. Because there's such a strong connection between leadership, strategy, and culture. And sometimes it's a really good fit, and sometimes one of them is not. And so yeah, what is in your you know, um, So on my website, it says we, we develop people strategies to, do, to drive your business strategy. And culture is one of those big pieces of the people strategy that sort of sits underneath everything. And culture is driven, as you know, from the top down, but also from the bottom up. It's like the, it's like the real part, the real feeling of what's going on. I always say culture is created by the behaviors leaders tolerate. I did not make that up. Um, I wish I did, but I, I, and I really don't know where that quote came from. Do you, have you heard that before? I have heard yeah, it I mean, and it is so it's, true. It's just the easiest way I, I have ever heard to define how do you create a culture. And so if that's why I said what's so important for leaders is, is their values because the behaviors that they tolerate are the things that are going to drive the culture in the organization. Um, mm -hmm. And so if people are aligned against the values, if the leader is aligned with the values of the organization and the people that come to that company and work for that company are aligned with those values and they actually use them to make decisions, then that should be a pretty good culture. Um, if mm -hmm. the leaders are using the values as lip service, which some do, right? Like, oh yeah, we want to have, we really care about our people. That's one of our values is we, we care about our people, which, you know, is a very loosey goosey value. 
And then they make decisions that demonstrate that they really don't care that much about their people. That's what I call lip service to values. And that's so clear and evident because people decide about what they think about something from behavior, not words, right? I always say, if you want to change behavior, you got to change beliefs. People believe things and that causes them to behave in a certain way. And so if you want to change somebody's behavior, you need to change it. First, you need to understand what they believe and then you need to change those beliefs and then they'll change behavior. So um, I think that the, the values drive the, the culture and the culture drives the business strategy. And I feel like I've spent my whole career, mm -hmm. 25 plus years, trying to convince leaders, if you focus on the culture, the outcomes will come. The strategy, the business strategy, I'm sorry to say, is the easier part. And that's why everybody focuses on that. And they double down on it. And they forget about, uh, wait a minute, okay, so we have this kind of strategy. We have a really big growth strategy, or we have a, a strategy around innov innovation, or we have our strategy right now in the next three years is really about efficiency, or it's about being more agile because we've, we're doing a bunch of M&A. Whatever the strategy is, there are very, very specific kind of people and leadership and culture that you need for that business strategy. But because that's a little bit more intangible, it's a little bit harder to measure. It's also um, a little bit easier to ignore. Well, changing a culture seems like a monumental uh, event and usually one that you know leaders are overwhelmed by and unsure of where to start. But to your point, if you, you can build whatever strategy you want, but if you don't have the right culture in place, whatever your expectations are related to that strategy, are going to be a very no kidding, right? That that quote I do know is from Peter Drucker that says, um, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast." I love that. So, so how do you coach and uh, socialize with leaders um, who are really focused on strategy and need to spend time on culture? What's your, what's um, your well, when that? they meet with me, they pretty much know they're going to be talking about themselves, their leadership and how that drives their strategy. So sometimes I do offsites where I help them build the strategy or I, you know, work with the leadership team to create the strategy. And then the next step of that is, okay, so if this is our strategy, what kind of people do we need? What kind of people do we need in what roles, which is our most critical roles? And then let's use an assessment like predictive index to identify the, the really right people for those roles. Right now, I think I spend most of my time with more with smaller mid-sized companies. I do have still some gigantic uh, big companies that I work with, but even inside of those, there's smaller departments or there's smaller business units. So the idea of building the culture as they grow and scale is way more fun to me than trying to turn the Titanic, like trying to change the culture of a big, you know, American Express or something. American Express, I got to just say this, has such an amazing culture, or they did when I was there for, the, for 10 years, that I actually thought all companies were like that. Um, they, they have such a strong value set that they, at the time, I'm sure they still have this, they call the blue box values. Um, everybody knew them. They were really, 
you know, you, you were rated against those values. Leadership was critically important. They talked about it all the time. So I feel like I went to private school, you know, when I, when I learned, I was at such a great place to learn about values-based leadership at American Express. I was also lucky enough to work there for the changing of the guards. So a long time ago, there was a CEO named Harvey Golub, uh, who was the CEO of Amex when I was there. He was a he was older and he was a little bit more old school. And then Ken Chenault came in as the CEO. And he was a, um, he was a younger, more, uh, he was a, a protege, but also, you know, and very, very senior and well-loved leader at American Express. But then he came in and the things did change. I mean, it was really crazy about, you know, and I was so fortunate that I got to spend some time and meet with him periodically and um, build some programs for him. And I learned so much at that time about real values-based leadership and I never took it for granted. And that's what I work with my clients on building it right the first time because turning it around is really problematic. Yeah. I, I really love that you just um, shared that because I, I agree. I think um, building a culture from the Ugh. start is so much easier. Um, I've always worked for large uh, corporations. Um, I've always been um, part of uh, situations where we've done mergers and acquisitions. And so, you know, if you don't have a strong culture to begin with, and then you add in company after company, you're bringing along each of those cultures um, with that uh, acquisition. And suddenly you have an assortment of different experiences and uh, values and behaviors in what you're trying to uh, share as one culture. It's so hard. It's really hard and if you out. actually have a, a company that's smart enough to say, we have to do a cultural integration. I mean, when you do a merger and acquisition and you have that as your strategy, you know that you've got to do a systems integration and you've got to do a, mostly so many process integration, but rarely do they ever call out the cultural integration. Um, they think that'll just come, right? Like, uh, mm -hmm. And, and that really not a lot of time spent on it. So what happens is you end up with so many different cultures inside of one organization. Um, and then you have the company that was bought mm -hmm. working so hard to maintain their independence, their culture, as they're sort of getting eaten up by the systems integration, by the reorganizations that are going on and who's leaving from the new comp, you know, from the old company and watching the institutional knowledge walk out the door and, and it's not intentional. And so if when there is a merger and acquisition strategy, if, you could, if the leader could be a little bit more intentional about thinking about what does this mean for the culture? How do you want to drive it? It's, it's really, it's so hard. Um, but I, I do think just even talking about it and getting it out there, being intentional again is uh, important. Yeah, it's a delicate journey for sure. Um, for any leader to to merge um, and integrate mm -hmm. the cultures, but it is so necessary um, because sometime down the road, even through rebranding um, to bring all of the companies into one and create a, a single brand, 
it's just not enough. Yep. There has to be the behavior yep. and value. And you know, well. so many times um, I'm building a module right now on change leadership. And so I'm thinking about, there's a thing that I like to reference, which is called the stages of concern and how people go through personally, how they go through change. And one of the, so this first stage is, is awareness. Like they don't even know that a change is coming, right? So think about it in a merger and acquisition perspective. Um, they don't even know it's coming. There's no awareness. But then the second stage is this need for information. So they just, that's when you just data dump, right? Mm -hmm. But what leaders tip, and then the next stage is for personal information. So how does this change impact me personally? Leaders, big leaders typically miss that stage because it's too hard to go talk to each person independently. And they just jump right to why this is so great for the company, right? We're going to merge together. We're going to have one, whatever it is, right? What, whatever the name of one company X. And that's the name of the strategy, the name of the initiative. It's called one, whatever the name of the company is. Everyone has one of those. One Amex, one Visa, one whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's, and that's the strategy. And meanwhile, all the people independently are like, um, where am I going to sit? Who's my new team? Who's my boss? How, what happens if I have to go to the bathroom? The, my new desk is so far from the bathroom. And these crazy thoughts that are flooding their mind, they're not listening to the one strategy. They're thinking about themselves. And leaders miss a huge opportunity when they skip that step, when they don't give people time to process, how does this change impact them personally? And once people get over that hump, then their brain can calm down again enough to really be able to listen to how does this impact now the organization and why is this good for the organization? Yeah. One of the most effective things that um, I've found in any kind of change management process is to go through an analysis and rating of each individual to determine kind of where they are on a scale of one hmm. to five um, in terms of embodying that change. And you'll quickly find who your change agents are and who your change resistors are. And then if you dig deeper, you can discover why they are the change resistor. And sometimes it's the easiest thing to flip them to a change agent, but you have to spend the time really evaluating. And yes, talking completely. So many times we are covert, we have covert resistance and that that's disguised as mm -hmm. agreement. Because people are smiling and nodding at you and thinking, oh, this is the flavor of the month. It'll change Absolutely. in about 20 minutes if I just keep smiling and nodding. And then they're resisting and you don't even know they are because you'd like to mm -hmm. believe, yeah. oh, they're smiling and nodding. They must be with me. So I'm super engaged in this conversation. And I think I could talk to you for many, many more hours on uh, leadership, culture, uh, change management, but I'm going to switch gears and ask you, do you have any passion projects that you're working on now well, for yourself or for your It's company? a weird time. I mean, I know what I like to do and what I, what I really don't like to do. And so for six years, I've been able to really narrow that down. And if you look at my website now, my, my business partner and I laugh because we spent so much time on our website and then we've never really updated it after six years. So it's crowded with things that we do. And um, it has so many things. And we really need to go back mm -hmm. and say, what are the things that we actually do um, and take the rest off? And we partner with a lot of people where we would send you to do the things that we don't love doing. But I really love coaching. And so um, th that's one of my favorite things to do. 
what I realized in coaching is that I have been spending a lot of time teaching leaders some models or some some ways to get through specific situations. Or for example, I mentioned before that emotional intelligence was really important. I spent a lot of time explaining what emotional intelligence is. So I, I decided that rather than do that at such a high price point in terms of coaching and doing teaching one-on-one, that's where my leadership refresh class came from which was, let me pull out what I think are the most important modules for leaders that they may have forgotten. So it's not really for first time leaders, it's actually for leaders that are relatively senior. It's like, you know, for those, and maybe I forgot about some things. And um, let me go back and refresh. So it's two hours every two weeks for a quarter. So it's 12 hours of learning, and then there's TED Talks and homework and articles to read in between in the off week. Um, I really love that program because I think it gears people up for great coaching. So after they go through that, so my, so my pet project would be, I love doing that training, and I also love doing the coaching, but my pet project will be when the people out of this cohort then get coached, we can really focus on, I don't need to teach you the model now. Now I want to talk to you about how do you apply it. So that's, that's what I'm really excited about. Um, I started Level Up Together a podcast as a way to bring a community and connection with like-minded women who are ready to level up their life and business. And just we're looking for strategies and support on how to do that with people who are just so like you know. Them. So what uh, I've been thinking about you? that as I as you asked me to be on this podcast. Um, I've been thinking about the words level up and what did what did I do to level myself up? And I I actually it's really been sitting with me. I've been really thinking about it, and I've done a lot of things. But I think the most important thing for people when they level up is to really believe in yourself. I feel like you know. I'm fortunate. I'm in my fifties. I'm fortunate enough to be able to look back on my various decades, twenties, thirties, forties, and even now, you know, the early part of my fifties to think about what it is I learned and how I leveled up through all those things. And as you know, cause you read the leadership pipeline and maybe Marcus, um, maybe the other book, uh, what got you here won't get you there. I was going to say Marcus Buckingham, but it's not Marcus Buckingham. It's, um, Oh my God. Uh, Marshall Goldsmith, what got you here won't get you there. As you know, every, every leadership door that you enter, it requires a different set of skills. And so what, when you enter that door, that portal into the next level of leadership, mm-hmm. you don't really know what you're doing. So there's this, this feeling of maybe an imposter or imposter syndrome, like, oh my God, they're going to find me out. And what ends up happening is if you reflect, if you reflect on your story, if you spend some time thinking about who it is you want to be and you surround yourself, here's, here's an important part. You surround yourself with smart people that actually believe in you. When you start losing faith in yourself, those are the people that you go to and they, and then you, and you get reminded about, you know what? You do have this, you got this. Because these are smart people and they wouldn't want to hang out with you if you didn't really know what you were talking about. Because everyone feels that imposter syndrome, but the leveling up thing really requires you to have some level of belief in yourself that you've got it. 
And it's not an everyday thing where you think I've got it, but there are some days where I really feel like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm not sure where my next client is coming from. And then I, I'm so lucky that I, I make a phone call and I, and I hear some voice that says, are you kidding me? You know, or help me understand why you're thinking that. What in the past month has, has led you to believe that this feeling that you're having right now? So recognizing what you're feeling, recognizing who to go to when you need a little help or support, support yourself with strong smart people that believe in you and love you and, you know, tell your story, be your story. That's what leveling up, I think, means. I love it. I love the passion around it, too. Okay, um, so where so can our listeners connect with you? Always, of course, on LinkedIn, Alicia Mandel. We do have a website. It's, as I said, it's being updated. We keep talking about updating it and then we get involved in other more passion projects, but it's mediusadvisorygroup.com, medius, M-E-D-I-U-S, advisorygroup.com. And I'm there. There's, um, you'll find a lot of my blogs. I, I've written a lot of blogs over the years. Also, we're about to launch our, our, our own podcast as well, which is called Middle Finger Situations which is all about irreverency in leadership. And we bring on mm -hmm. guests that are irreverent leaders, consultants, thought leaders that are, are all about sort of giving the middle finger to specific situations and breaking the rules and doing things differently and really being irreverent and making a difference. Well, Alicia, it's oh, been it's, so it's much really fun been my pleasure. today's show. Thank, Thank you, you for, for inviting joining me. us. Absolutely. Bye. You have an awesome day. We'll talk again soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And as always, anything mentioned, any links, any notes, those will all be over on theredtulip.com in the podcast section of our website. So just head on over there and take a look. If you haven't connected yet with me personally, I would love to meet you. Come find me on Instagram at theredtulip underscore and send me a DM. Let me know you listened to this episode and let me know what you thought. Or come to the Level Up Together Facebook page and say hello. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Thanks for being brave. Thanks for being amazing. And thanks for being you. I can't wait to chat next time.